Hi, and welcome to the Mindset and Performance Podcast. I'm Dries. I help athletes and business professionals with their career development. We work on a wide range of areas from psychology to strategy and execution, but we focus essentially on the mindset as it is the key to everything else. The whole idea behind this podcast is to deconstruct the habits that led people to their success, to learn from their experience and understand the psychology behind their actions and behaviors. And of course, to gain key insights that you can apply to your own life. Welcome to the Confinement Series. These episodes are recorded for you from Germany in times where all the nations have taken strict measures to stop spreading the coronavirus. With this new and unique situation, many of us are challenged to live in conditions that they are not used to which is why I'm bringing experts in different fields to give advice and intel on how you can manage your everyday, your health physically and mentally, your relationships, your business and your emotional well-being. So without further ado, our next guest. Daniel, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. How are you? I'm pretty good. I have a nice beautiful view in front of me, very bright and light. I think it's cold outside though, but I'm warm and nice inside, uh, and I'm calling <laughs> you from uh, from Germany. You're sitting in Austria, right? That's right, in beautiful Vienna. Vienna, one of my top three cities in in Europe. Oh, so you are from Vienna? No, I'm not from Vienna. I'm I'm actually half Irish, half German, a Colombian wife, and an American cocker spaniel. So all over the place mm -hmm. um, but I've been in Vienna for more than 20 years and, and uh, went to school in Vienna went to university here and uh, started founding the first businesses here mm -hmm. and um, for me it's just I don't know when it, when I moved here for the first time it's quite similar to what you experienced it was just for me it was love at first sight it's just such an amazing city and um, every time till today whenever I walk through the city I, I see new things and uh, I mean the city's been elected I think the most livable city in the world, I believe, eight times in succession. So, oh, um, really? Wow. It's, it's not just me and you. Um, there's actually uh, quite a few people uh, considering that. Beautiful city. What makes it so special? For me, it's kind of the intersection between um, extreme, just beautiful, old, historic buildings um, combined with a very clean atmosphere. And what I find so interesting in, 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 in Vienna is these historic buildings are not kind of museums or whatever you can't access, but they're part of everyday life. Um, and you can also sense the pride of, of the history. Um, so it's, 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 it's just beautiful. And it's very well maintained, very well kept after. Everything works. And the funny thing is when you're in Vienna quite, for quite a long time, you don't really notice it. But if you go to other cities, you notice straight away when you come back. The difference. Um, what, you, you see the difference. Mm. The funny thing, though, about Vienna is... Um, the Austrians have a tendency of being quite critical um, of, of the environment and always finding things which we're not too happy with. Um, and I believe it's a bit like founders, you know, that founders are always, they're never happy with their product. They always say, well, it's okay, but it could be done better. And in a way, the Austrians are a bit like that as well, because they would never say, oh, Vienna is perfect. But they always go, Sounds yeah, okay. like the French. Yeah, well, I'm not too, I don't know too much about the other nations, but, I, but it's kind of very much like the Austrians. They're always going, well, it could be better. But I think this criticism helps them always optimize and always improve. They're never happy. Um, so therefore, they're always striving for improvement. Um, so, so it's an interesting mentality. I love it. 
Nice, nice. And it's quite dynamic, right? Like I found it very dynamic. A lot of young people moving around and being active there, right? Yeah, I mean, apparently uh, one in 10 in Vienna is a student. I read that somewhere. So I'm, I'm really not sure if that's, that's, that's the real number, but I believe that's what I read, one in 10. So it's quite a young city. It's got a lot of students going on. Um, and that obviously gives a lot of dynamic and just just looking at the location of Vienna, you know, it's like like smack bang in the middle of Europe, um, which also makes it very interesting. It's, it's a huge melting pot and um, I just love it. It's beautiful. So you said you moved there. When, when did you move there specifically? I actually moved there in 1996. Um, I'd, I'd moved before that several times. I grew up in Portugal and Germany and moved forwards and backwards. And I moved, uh, moved to Vienna at the age of 15 with my parents. Um, my father had business to do here. And then four years later, my, my father um, moved on to his next assignment. Um, and I was 19. And that's usually the age where you, where you leave home. Uh, and in my case, it was my parents leaving the city. And um, I decided, okay, I'd moved enough. I'm staying here. And mm. um, yeah. And how was it there for you was. as a kid uh, moving to different places? What did you uh, gain from that? I mean, the funny thing is, I think I gained a lot. Um, in hindsight, um, I had a few like major moves. Um, when I was six, we moved to Portugal from Hamburg to Portugal, and um, I was super excited. You know, as a six-year-old, that's the best thing that can happen. You adapt very quickly, and for me, having lived in Hamburg and then suddenly moving to Lisboa, um, that was amazing because I so loved this 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 culture, this warm-hearted people that love children and are always open and there's always celebrations going on you stay outside outside for, for long hours i love that and um just the warm weather moving back to germany then three years later was quite tricky because i missed this warm-hearted approach and i didn't like the cold weather and someone kind of deeply in me instilled this love for 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 southern lifestyle um at the age of then we moved around a bit in in, in, in hamburg and at the age of 15 um, we moved from Vienna, uh, from Hamburg to Vienna. And the interesting thing was um, I didn't like that move because if you're six and you move, you're okay. If you're nine and you move, it's okay. If you're 15, that's horrible. Mm -hmm. um, and the interesting thing was I moved from, from being in, in a good school. My parents always looked out for, for, for me receiving good education. So I was in a good school in Germany. And these good schools in, in Germany, in Hamburg specifically, were quite liberal schools. Whereas in Vienna, the good schools were and are um, Catholic private schools. And mine was run by the Jesuits. So it was like, I was 180 degrees different to what I'd experienced. It was suddenly super strict and it was a kind of a day boarding school. And so, so life changed very rapidly from a very, let's say, easy environment to a very, very strict, confined environment. Um, I didn't like that. Um, in hindsight, I'm, I'm happy to have uh, completed that school and gone through it and, and all the tough part of it, but it was very different. And my school in Hamburg was in the center of Hamburg. We could always go outside. There were shops everywhere. The school in Vienna was on the outskirts of Vienna in the middle of nowhere. There was nothing around. Um, so that was interesting. And I was, I was very bad in school always. I was, because I'm, I'm, I always call it, I have like the mindset of an entrepreneur, like the interest set of an entrepreneur. Either I'm extremely interested in something, I want to know everything, or I'm not interested at all, which is quite bad in school. And I know I was always curious. And for some reason, in most cases, my curiosity was never, was never met in school. Whenever I would ask and say, so why is this? That's just the way it is. But, but, but why? That's just mm -hmm. the way it is. Accept it, learn it. 
and that frustrated me. So I had a very hard time getting through school. And um, I know the teachers always said to my parents, look, he's, he's not dumb. He just doesn't want to, which is not nice. And it's, it wasn't me not wanting to. It was just I had big difficulties in just, um, I know, getting satisfaction out of the education. Mm. But we're talking me, here before eight, before being 19, right? Before 18. Yes, we're talking here exactly Gymnasium. before being 19. And it was, it, it was quite frustrating. Mm. And um, in hindsight, I learned a lot from that because nowadays when I, when I lecture, I, I try and take all these considerations into account and lecture in the way I would have wanted it to have been. Um, mm. Meaning I want that my students challenge me. I want to learn from my students and with my students. I understand that knowledge isn't something which stays the way it is it's, it's always dynamic um, and i also understand it's very much about uh, creating perspectives meaning obviously mathematics one and one is two but in very many cases it's not always straightforward it's it's, it's a question of perspective right um and who yeah. were you as a kid when you were like if you want to back off a little bit uh-huh. before that period who were you as a kid what were you most of the time busy with I was very busy with, um, <laughs> that's a good question. Probably in Hamburg, I was most busy being on inline skates and with my friends going outdoors. around. Yeah, outdoors, outdoors 24 seven on bicycles, right. indoor skates, mm-hmm. being in the fields, being in old buildings, climbing over stuff, jumping out of stuff, just yeah, 24 seven. I'm a group mm-hmm. of kids just doing all the mad stuff, um, which I loved. And then moving to, to Vienna kind of changed because there was like no, not really many kids nearby. And then um, I picked up playing uh, rugby um, at the age of 15. Where I started playing when I was five and then just played a bit and uh, moving to Portugal stopped. But then in Austria, I started, picked up playing rugby again. I, I come from a family that has a tradition there and enjoyed that very much. Um, interestingly, it was me, 15 years of age, about 60 kilos at the time. And at the time, there were no teenager rugby uh, team so I played with the grown-ups um, which is uh, if you're 15 you're invincible at least in your mind mm-hmm. and when mm-hmm. you start playing rugby against grown-ups you you see your own limitations but you also learn that if you're smart and if you don't do everything head-on mm-hmm. you can tackle the biggest opponents and that's something I think I learned a lot from that even that you can even tackle someone who has 130 kilos if you're smart and um, yeah yeah yeah, I learned a lot about that. Mm. So that was me. And, um, and yeah, who were you? Who were you most influenced by during that whole time? Was there somebody you were looking up to, or uh, I don't know, dad, mom, somebody outside of that circle? I think I think there's always been a few. I mean, um, I think I've always taken a lot of inspiration out of my parents, kind of the way they define how relationships are, uh, because they kind of met when they were age 17, 18, always looking out for one another, being very respectful. Um, and being uh, very much at eye level, um, that's something I always appreciate a lot. So, so our family was always, always important. At the other hand, um, I always had this this love for rugby and, and, for, and for, for for racing, um, car racing, go karting, and so on. So, it's, I I loved watching Formula One back in the day. I loved watching rugby, and there was always like two or three names for me. It was always there was not a single race I would miss watching watching a Michael Schumacher race. Um, I always loved that. And um, watching uh, Jonah Lomu play rugby. I wouldn't say they were people I would idolize anything, but just people I would look up to and, and try and learn things from them. And um, I loved the way Jonah Lomu redefined the sport, suddenly being the first real professional rugby player, playing on a position very different to everyone else. 
and Michael Schumacher having this this very methodical approach. And I started watching Formula One when he moved from Benetton being very dominant to Ferrari in a bad car. And um, I don't know, I just I just I just appreciated it very much. This whole technical approach to it. And um, interestingly, in Portugal, I grew up next to a race circuit in, in Estoril, and we could hear the cars every day testing in winter. And I didn't take much interest in racing until. One day by accident at age 11 or 12, I sat in a go-kart and I didn't think much of it. And, and the minute I pressed the accelerator for the first time, put the visor down, I just knew this was something very special to me. And um, I have a huge passion for it. And um, mm. so unfortunately, racing is, is a sport where you need a lot of support from your family. And my family never liked the idea of me racing. So, I, so that was something I could just do occasionally. Um, but I always loved it. And I loved the idea, the way you could learn that you would be doing things that are very fast and potentially dangerous. And if you focus, suddenly everything would slow down and you could take extreme amounts of decisions in very short periods of time. And I enjoyed that. that suddenly things were possible. I never thought. And suddenly you could feel that you'd gone through a corner 0.1, 0.2 seconds quicker than before. I mean, 0.1 seconds is nothing. And suddenly, because you're in it, because you're focusing, um, suddenly you can tell. That's quite cool. And um, still love it nowadays. Very interesting. So who did you want to be uh, while growing up? What did you think you wanted, wanted to do when you were, I don't know, 16, 17, 18? When I was 16, 17, 18, I was 100% convinced I wanted to be Formula One world champion. Right. <laughs> that, would <be> like, <laughs> that would be like the best thing ever. Okay. I idolized I idolized yeah. that. And at the same time, there were, there were a few things I always liked. As I said, I've always had huge amounts of interest in different topics. I would read everything about various topics and, and, and I had, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And the funny thing was back then I had friends who were like, I want to do this job. And throughout their, their life, they've always focused on this one job they wanted to do. And I want to do, and I wanted to do 10 million things. I wanted to race cars. I wanted to do, become a fighter pilot. I want to be an astronaut. I wanted to be a doctor. I don't know. All these things that I kind of found interesting. And you were already and clear I about that back then. The, yeah, the funny thing was I, was I was struggling with that back then because I thought, mm, weird. And I always, loved, I always loved stories. I always wanted to know the stories behind people. Why, why are they doing that? And I, loved, I, loved, I also always enjoyed very much um, how people told stories. That always inspired me a lot. And the interesting thing is, I know back in the day, I was always like, what is this good for? And, and I had two interesting, two interesting um, moments, which only make sense in hindsight. The funny thing was when I moved to Austria, there was a commentator on Austrian television who was commentating Formula One. And the Germans were always very factual. They were like, number one is this and number two is that. And, and this guy, he never talked about what was going on. His name is Heinz Puller. He was always telling the most amazing stories, background stories. And he would get totally lost in it. And you would see the two leaders crashing out. And he's still talking about the shoes of Jim Clark, which he wore in Sicily in 1968. And I was, I loved that. Um, and, and, and I kind of always enjoyed telling stories. And then when I went to university, um, initially I picked up um, something we call Wirtschaftsinformatik in German, which is kind of like a mixture of economics and, 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 and computer science. And so I started learning how to program and very quickly on, I noticed um, that there's a lot of people who are very, very good at programming. And I wasn't, it was like, I don't know, I was, I was okay, but I wasn't very good. And we had our first hand in and I hadn't managed to complete this, 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 this assignment as quickly as my other friends. And so I went to this guy who was very talented, 
a programming and said, look, can I have your code? And he was like, what do you mean? I said, just please, I haven't got it. Can you help me out? And he was like, okay, sure. And the assignment was something we had to present individually to our tutors the next day. And he said to me, look, yeah, go for it, but that won't work. And I said, just leave it to me, let, let me try. So I went in and presented his code and I received an A, a one on his code. And he received a C, a three on his code. And he was like, what did you do? And I said, I, I don't know, I just <laughs> talked. And, and, and it made no sense to me. And that's kind of like probably one of the first times in my, in my early career where, where I discovered that also having the ability to communicate is quite valuable. And it's not just about the quality you have, but also the way you present it and um, yeah, how you put it out there. Mm. Yeah, that was quite an interesting moment. How do you present yourself to people right these days? That's a great question. It, it always depends on whom I meet, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, if I meet just people uh, in a bar, in a, in a kind of very private setting, I'll just say I'm Daniel and I'm an entrepreneur, full stop. That's what I am. Mm -hmm. If people have a little more time, I'll say I'm an entrepreneur, um, presenter, um, lecturer, uh, and keynote speaker. That's kind of as long as it gets. It can get a lot longer. Um, and usually when I hold keynotes on stage, it'll take three, four, five minutes where I explain what I do. And because interestingly, very often people think like, oh my goodness, you do a lot. And then I try and explain it's actually just one thing I do. It's just mm -hmm. various different uh, pillars uh, which support what I do. Um, that makes so, sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but it, it took me a while to figure that out actually, <laughs> which is uh, So what were you yeah. doing were you doing something else before that? Like what's what, after the so school, the thing, after university? Yeah, I mean the thing is in university, um mm -hmm. I also wasn't good in university. It took me ages. I was always doing various other things and working odd jobs. So I so I went to business school and initially I, I wasn't good at that. And um I don't know, it was just just a thing to do. And then two things happened. Um, number one, um, I took up uh, a job as an extra uh, for, for a TV show. And um, yeah, I was quite good at that, which is not, not a big feature, like just mm -hmm. standing around doing nothing. And someone said, like, go to a casting for a commercial. And I did it. And, and, I, and I got the commercial. And then I did it again. I got a second commercial and a third. And so someone said, hey, there's like a casting for a short movie. Go there. And I was like, okay. And, and I got the, the, the main role there, which is a god-awful movie. But for some reason, I noticed there was something I was probably not bad at. So I decided, why not just also go to acting school? Um, so kind of money I'd earned, I used up to go to a private acting school, which made no sense at that time. And at the same time, I remember being in university, university and kind of struggling along. And I was kind of just doing it. And I needed to get a book I wasn't interested in. And in the bookshelf, right next to the book I had to buy, there was like advertising with all these colorful books and I picked up the first and I was and I always I forgot to mention that I always love books like my family also knew even at Christmas even as a small child the last thing you give Daniel are the books because as soon as he gets the books he's gone like that's <laughs> always been the way I, I adore books <laughs> so I suddenly saw all these books and picked them up and it was just like that was I was like I want this I need this what do I need to do to be able to study, to focus on these books. And I found out, and it was like, a, uh, in, in Austria, you have to specialize, or back in the day, you have to specialize on two subjects um, during your, 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 your kind of like masters or whatever it was, uh, kind of like equivalent to masters um, back in the day before Bologna. And it turned out it was like, the one course I want to do, which was focused on advertising and market research was an elite course. And they said, look, everyone can apply, 
which is an average 200 people and the best 30 the best 30 we take them and i was like i want this i need this and from that moment on i did everything everything to get into that course and it changed my life quite drastically because initially I was that bad student and there was the picture I had, I'm not good at this, I can't achieve things, this is bad, I might have to stop university. And suddenly, boom, I want this. I know exactly I want this. I'll go flat out. And, and I remember, remember the good thing was it, was it was a two week course and at the end there was a written exam and it kind of leveled everything. Everything I'd done before was unimportant. It was just these two weeks. And I remember I learned day in, day out. And um, I, I was number 10, so I, so I made it in. And that was that was it, it was perfect. It's where I wanted to be. Uh, and from there on I focused. And then at another pivotal moment in that, it was um, it was time to write uh, my thesis. And um, I was unsure what to do, kind of combine television and advertising sort of like yeah tv advertising until suddenly my my phone broke and i needed a new phone and for some reason um i always loved the nice stuff you know the, the interesting gadgety stuff i bought bought an iphone like an early iphone and suddenly i had this tool in hand i'd i'd always been waiting for in life for some reason and suddenly it was like this is it and i loved this whole world of app and and, and, and it was just starting it is now 2009 we're talking so I decided to write my thesis on um, mobile marketing. Um, and while doing that, I focused on app marketing. And I had, um, so I researched on that. And um, I was meant to have, I think, 50 participants in my studies. And it turned out I had more than 750 people take part in my study I'd published on, on Facebook. And um, that was incredible. And suddenly a so-called company builder um, knocked on my door, more or less sent me an email and said, look, we're interested in talking about what you're doing and i was like wow yeah i'd love to talk with you guys and that's the first time i kind of took a major step towards entrepreneurship because they had a small startup called grantastic which turned out to be a huge success story and they were trying to avoid a funding round by um, spinning out a, 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 an agency that would develop mobile app applications and market them and they were looking for someone to do this um, and so i became co-founder of of of, of uh, my first company um which is about 10 funded years you? ago and they yeah. funded mm, nice yeah and um so they didn't just no no they, what, what they did was they were really hands-on they were a real company builder they mm -hmm. were like we'll help we'll do everything that needs to be done you do a lot of the operational stuff we'll support it we'll just go for it and that was incredible and so it was kind of like a path from from understanding why doing what i believe in is important because i suddenly noticed if there's something I'm interested in, if there's something I want, if there's something I, 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 I'm really interested in, I can be really good at this. I can be really good at this. And this did a lot to me because I, I always had that self picture of being a really bad student, being an underachiever, not being able to do things until suddenly I understood if it's something I want, if I know why I want this, I will do everything to make it work. And I earned it and I earned it really hard. And I earned it the hard way. And it was great. And then being there, I remember coming from market research, I learned to be very precise on everything, 99% accuracy and learning. If, if it's 99%, it's not 100%. So therefore, you can't be sure, blah, blah, blah. And suddenly, I'm in the startup world. And I re remember having a lot of questions. They were like, who's our customer? They were like, we don't know. Who's our market? We don't know. I was like, my goodness, but you have to know. And, and, and this guy who, who was a serial entrepreneur looked at me and said, you know what? The only answer is just do it. Just do it, find out, do it, go for it. And that was also a pivotal moment. 
someone just telling me just do it don't think too much do it so what are what are the things that drives you like how do you know that something is for you or not like how do you um assess that it's 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 funny do do i get excited or not does it excite me it's 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 really weird it's um so i don't have this massive thought pattern behind it but it's just does it interest me and i notice as soon as i start reading into something and i get excited and i start talking to people and i get even more excited I love that. And the funny thing is nowadays when I, when I look for startups to work with or people to work with, um, what I look out for on people is, are they excited about what they do? Do they believe in what they do? Because I, I firmly believe that you'll be able to achieve everything in life as long as you're excited enough about it and willing enough to do what it takes. And the funny thing is for me, um, also if you look at sports, very often the sports personalities the ones who are very successful aren't the ones who were super, extremely, massively uh, talented as a young child, but they were the ones who really wanted something. And for example, if you look at the story of Messi, he wasn't, he wasn't someone who was just destined for success. Or if you look at the story of Lewis Hamilton, he was someone who became extremely successful because he loved what he was doing, but he did everything to make it work. And that's something I quite like as much as well. Like there's a story about his father and him practicing racing while it was raining. They would look for the best person on the circuit. Look, where is he breaking? And they would put a, put a small cone there at that breaking point. And they would practice until he would hit that breaking point. And then he would move it further and further and further, just to kind of have that benchmark. Um, that's something I find beautiful. Or a story I read about David Beckham, that while everyone else was going out and celebrating, he would be out on the pitch, still practicing, still practicing, still practicing. You don't do that because of money. You don't do that because of fame. You do that because you massively love what you do. And that's, I think, the most special thing you can look for in people and the most special thing you can support in people. And that's also your criteria of selection for uh, things that you want to get engaged in, like, like yes. excitement, feeling for it, like passion, passion about it, or like some huge, massive interest in what you do. Yeah. Right. So what is it that you do now specifically? I mean, I know we, we talked about that you and I in the warm up, but like for yeah. the people that are listening, Sure. What are you so involving? there's a few things. Mm. <laughs> exactly. So there are a few things that I do. Mm. Um, number one, I'm um, uh, co-founder and, and, and board member of Austrian Startups, which has become the largest think tank for innovative um, entrepreneurship in Austria. Uh, we're, we're strictly non-profit, but 60 mm. volunteers working on making entrepreneurship as accessible as skiing in Austria. We've been doing that for seven years now. Um, I really love that. Um, strictly non-profit, non-political. The second thing I do is um, I'm a professional speaker and, and presenter nowadays. So I hold a lot of keynotes on entrepreneurship, um, a lot of on pitching um, and anything surrounding and doing new things, uh, innovation. Uh, I love that a lot. Um, this enables me also, this is kind of like my main revenue channel. This enables me to spend a lot of time with very early stage startups. And so I lecture uh, three universities on entrepreneurship and mobile. Um, as well um, I love doing that and while doing that I noticed once in a while I would find raw talent people I thought were amazing and initially I would support them kind of on my own kind of always in the odd hours and came to a point where I noticed either I'll have to stop doing this or I'll have to professionalize it and together with five other entrepreneurs uh, we founded something called the Vienna Mentoring Group which is an early stage uh, company builder uh, uh, um, and, and, and mentoring boutique where we support super early stage startups um, uh, and invest 
primarily time into them, sometimes a bit of money. Uh, and I love doing that. So um, it sounds like a lot of things I'm doing, um, but for me, it's basically just one, one value chain. It's one chain where at university, I find super, super interesting talents and also get inspired myself. Um, with Austrian startups, we try and make this whole ecosystem work even better. So we work on political levels and with media and, and whatnot. And at the same time, um, we've managed to build an ecosystem because every month we have a monthly meetup. Um, so we've been doing this now for more than seven years where we have an, on average 200, 250 visitors and had everyone from students to the Austrian chancellor join us there. Um, and then obviously um, with the Vienna Mentoring Group, it helps me to have one or two subject uh, uh, teams a year where we really focus on and work with them and, and make these things fly if possible. And then with the keynote speaking uh, and presenting, it helps me to have, how should I say, reach and also cash flow to have projects like Austrian Startups and Vienna, Vienna Mentoring Group where I don't need to earn money, um, but on the other hand, have to be able to afford to do that kind of work. And then there's one more part that also came up over time is um, I, I consult large corporates on how to collaborate, collaborate with startups, with innovation, uh, and so on. Um, so I've have been able to have some amazing customers there over time. Um, for example, um, also through keynoting and moderating and whatnot. Uh, for example, Audi or Deutsche Bank, uh, Siemens, uh, and a couple others, um, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, that's kind of the short version of what I do. I bet I forgot very something. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, probably I'm gonna should have to share a couple of links from what you all said. Yeah, glad so They can take their glad time be. and they can read through <laughs> the full picture. But you get you give us a really nice picture of what you're doing and how you're acting. Thank you. So, so how is it going now with all the recent interesting events? Like, are you guys still meeting maybe um, virtually doing Zoom calls yeah. or? I mean, the thing is, obviously, I mean, I mean, I mean, COVID-19 has taken mm. its toll on everyone and it's changed everyone's lives. Um, so obviously all the speaking and, and presenting gigs have all been called off for the next couple of months. It's, 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 it's a weird setting suddenly having your revenue drop from 100% to zero within a couple of days. Um, so unique experience. Um, it's not like that I wanted it, but it's something I will learn a lot from in the next couple of weeks, months, and years from that experience, as will every one of us, um, because that's what we do. We get kicked, we get up, and we learn, we continue, and we get stronger. Um, and the same thing is, um, obviously, we, we, we become more and more resilient and, and adaptable. So we started, instead of having our monthly meetups, we initially took up Zoom calls and just pushed, put them on Facebook and said, look, we're there, let's talk, let's chat, just to be out there and, and, and talk. And we've got one tonight, um, so I have that every week now. Um, at the same time, also, our community, and again, startups are used to working in environments of extreme adversity and uncertainty and being, being highly uh, adaptable. So we, just, we, we, we saw that with something called Hack the Crisis, and that's still, uh, in, in, uh, I believe it was the... Estonia um, being started a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, and then one in Germany last week. So we decided let's do it ourselves. Uh, so we started Hack the Crisis Austria, which was a, a three-day hackathon, uh, which started on Friday and uh, went to Sunday evening, um, where we had, what was that, um, more than 50 teams um, working on finding solutions to, to fight COVID-19, not just medical, but could be anything like local support, um, how to keep up social distancing and whatnot, because um, 
that's what we like doing. We're all confined and we want to, we want to end this crisis as quickly and as most efficient as possible. Uh, and that was amazing. Um, and within two days, we suddenly had full support from the Federal Ministry of Digital and Economic Affairs in Austria. So we got, received governmental support and whatnot. And again, it's incredible to see what you can achieve if you're just quite simply, and I mean this, dumb enough to do it. Um, that's something else to learn in life. You have to be dumb enough to do it um, because um, a friend of mine phrase like how have, I like how you're phrasing it here. Dumb enough. Yeah. No, you so. have to be dumb enough because the funny <laughs> thing is, um, if you look at things, you would go like, "My goodness, what can I do? I'm just one person. No one's done this before. This is dangerous. This is going to be hard." And everything on a factual level will speak against doing it. But you have to be dumb enough to do it. And someone once said, "There's like something like the optimal level of intelligence." And I love that. And I said, "Well, what does that mean?" And he said, "Look, it means you have to be smart enough to have ideas." but you have to be dumb enough to do them. And, and I love that because I've often seen like the smartest of the smartest, sometimes so smart that they know it's a 99% of things not working out, so they don't do it. You need to be dumb enough to do it. And um, that's something I enjoy. And I love really being around one. people who are, who are dumb enough to do things. Yeah, that's, that's a really good one. Like when you are a little bit, uh, I'd say, um, naive about something, for example, of course it can be done. Who said it cannot yeah. be done? Uh. Yeah. I mean, I think so. being naive is super important. I mean, I love being naive. I think I have, I have, I'm someone who gets excited, like a 12 year old about things, things that I think are great. I really get excited like a child and I hope mm. I never le- uh, lose that. Mm. And I'm absolutely naive enough to try it. And the funny thing was like a couple of years ago, um, I always loved um, Shark's Tank and Dragon's Den, um, you know, like these, these TV shows. And I remember hosting an event and there was a guy from, from the English version. I was like, that's amazing. And two, three months later, I saw that, that the, a local television station said, we're going to do the show ourselves. And I was like, I want to do this. And the funny thing is at the same time I was negotiating to, to, to join uh, a new company, kind of like an, on a holding position before I would start a new company. And I told the guy at the, at the, what's it called? At the, um, help me, at the interview, I said, look, I really want to work for you and I really love this project. However, I've applied for this TV show and I would like to have a clause in the contract. If I get that job at the TV show that you'll let me go. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, look, television. He was like, do you want to do television? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said like, okay, sure. That's not going to work. I was like, look, if you think it's not going to work, you won't have a problem of putting this clause into the contract. And he was like, yeah, sure. You know, fine. Yeah, go on then to do TV, Mr. Hollywood or whatever. And he was like having a, having a fun time. Upset. And I was like, <laughs> the funny thing, we put that contract in um, and I contacted the TV station and nothing happened. And they were actually a customer of, of, of the agency I'd, 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 I'd built up before. And I contacted everyone there and no one could help. And some of my friends were saying, look, you might have a good chance of getting in there because it was on startups and I'd hosted a lot of events on startups myself in Austria. And they were like, ooh, well, who, would you, who else should they pick? Just wait. I was like, oh, I can't just wait. I, I got to push this. Out. And then at one, someday at a party, I saw the CEO of the television company quite simply just walked up to, to him and said, hi, I'm Daniel. I've heard of that television show. I want to host it. What do I need to do? The funny thing is, though, when I did it, that moment I walked up, I was absolutely... Well, I was so nervous, I, I, I felt like getting sick. And on my inside, I was going like, oh God, you can't do that. Oh God, you can't do that. But I was like, part of my brain was also saying, no, do it, do it, do it. And I was so scared. And was that a good pitch? No, but I did it. The funny thing was, so a lot of the, the hosting jobs I do, I do in English, some of them in German. 
And the guy had seen me on stage a few times, but he was not aware that I actually spoke German. So he'd never even considered me. And, he, and his reaction was, do you speak German? I was like, I do. And he was like, oh, that's good. Let's talk. And so I, I remember going home going, like, yes, I've got that gig. Cool. I was expecting an email the next day. Nothing happened. Second day, nothing happened. And I waited for two weeks. Nothing happened. And then I just started writing the like follow-up emails to everyone I could see until eventually I got a shot at it. And um, yeah, then long story short, through several trials and, and many, many reasons why it would not work, um, I eventually got that show. Um, also interesting, so I have a German accent um, when I talk. Um, they initially told me, look, it's Austria. You can't do television with a German accent in Austria. And I was like, hey, who says that? Let's give it a shot. And I got it. I remember going back to my... Uh, to, to my boss at that time saying look remember that clause on the contract was like yeah yeah we'll have to we'll have to activate that uh, i got the gig what and did that he was a cool moment was his reaction he was okay. he was like he was like what 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 do you mean i was like i got him <laughs> and, and, and i could tell like he, he thought i was like really dumb for having that clause in and i showed him i was dumb enough to actually try it um and um so yeah did the tv show was cool but very the funny good, thing was good. there um was the TV show kind of was okay, but it didn't go in the direction I believed and it didn't show entrepreneurship the way I wanted to show it. Um, and then um, I decided after not being able to persuade them to take the direction I wanted to go off board and, and, and uh, continue on doing what I believed in. Very interesting background with um, different um, yet same, different but same um, kind of activities and areas where you have been uh, I mean um, active and contributing very interesting thank you I wanted to go back to the hack the crisis I think we yeah we talked about it just briefly and um, is, is it okay for you if you tell me more about what do you do specifically and go a little bit more into the specifics on who can participate and what are the um, specific topics again that you act on i know it's about covid19 but for the people who are listening to see maybe there will be there's there's a value for them there to maybe participate and um also maybe just follow the news what's going on and learn from yeah. those solutions that you guys come up with is it always uh hackathons like always like three two two three days like that or is it like could be a little more stretched or how does it work really I mean, first of all, yeah, yes, I mean, it can be done in any country. And I think every, anyone should look it up. Um, Hack the Crisis um, has had, I think, even taken part in several countries nowadays. Um, and the idea was um, typical hackathon is like 48 hours to 60 hours um, is just to find solutions quickly and to create a prototype quickly um, and then to understand how to make it work on a broader way. Um, so that's something... I think anyone can get running and working in their country. It's a virtual hackathon nowadays. Normally you would meet in person, but now it's, a, it's, 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 it, it was virtual due to obvious reasons. Our focus was on health, emergency response, education, business. And we had a category category called anything else because anything can, can make a difference. Um, ours is done. We have, we have winners, winners, uh, which are going to receive various prizes, including, uh, including governmental support. But everyone else is hopefully also going to continue on working on their solutions. Um, and who is leading usually? Sorry? Who is leading this, um, this hackathons? 
So we had a team from Austrian startups consisting of about 20 volunteers um, who, who were facilitating everything, plus several design. other supporters. Mm -hmm. So it was quite big and professionally done. It was an incredible effort. Um, I had the easiest role. I was just hosting it, which is like, well, I got to talk once in a while. So I didn't do much, um, but we have an amazing, amazing team. We basically slept, hardly slept in, in three days. Um, and now we'll have to see what the future is going to bring. But the point is, you go to hackthecrisis.at, um, all in one, you, you can see some of the results, all the videos, individual videos are up because uh, part of the challenge was to create a two-minute video um, because obviously you can't do a pitch on that time. Um, and um, so you can look up for some of the solutions, maybe some, some people they can work, um, as well as you can also reach out to the initial inventors of Hack the Crisis, um, um, because they are also quite good at facilitating the source in other countries, um, or at least supporting. Um, and that's a good thing. Very good. So when is the next one? Actually, I'm not sure. Um, I can't tell you. Um, mm. I do know there's actually, and, and I can't talk about this publicly yet, but there is work on, let's say, a larger edition. Um, but um, I, still some, some some jobs to be done. But again, I believe... Um, that 30 to 40 different hack the crisis have, has, have taken part uh, place all over the world. Um, so whoever's listening this to this and thinks, hey, it's a good idea, look up. Um, it's a good idea. Yeah, it's really it's fantastic. a good idea because so, so people can get involved and they feel that instead of just being there waiting for solutions to come from, I don't know, governments or local communities, but also get involved into those solutions and feel part of creating the change. Yes, and I think the thing, especially especially the young and young at heart, um, especially we startups, we're used to rapidly creating prototypes or minimum viable products and rapidly, um, how should I say, using data to, to create new things and rapidly uh, deploying um, first test websites and whatnot. And I think there's something in, in times of crisis like now, we need rapid, brave approaches. Um, and um, that's, I think, what we're very good at, um, as well as being obviously super digital uh, and, and, and super remote. Um, yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, the other thing that I would like to check with you here is uh, your input around um, around fear. I mean, there's a lot of fear ongoing right now with uncertainty in the world. Like people doesn't know how long this confinement and quarantine gonna have gonna be, and after the confinement and people are outside again. Could they be a sort of relapse and uh, going back to uh, some sort of crisis? Um, I know you have held some talks about fear and you, you, you even have a video there that I will be gladly sharing with the people. But could you tell us a little more about your approach uh, to fear? Mm -hmm. Gladly. I mean, the funny thing is about fear for a good part of my life, I always considered fear an extreme weakness. Um, I always thought, if you're scared, you're weak. If you're scared, that's bad. Um, especially also, I thought never show, never talk about fear because you don't want to. You don't want to show a chink in your armor. And the funny thing was, um, first of all. Regarding now, I think it's perfectly normal to be to, to have fear. Um, I think it's perfectly normal when you're in, in, in situations of uncertainty to be worried because sure, there's a lot of things to be worried about. Let's not let's not talk around it. However, I think it's there's two ways. Right? 
exactly we can't deny it it's scary of course am i scared of it yeah, sure i have my moments but the thing is fear can be an incredible thing if you know how to use it fear can either um how should i say make you immobile it can stop you in your tracks if fear is everything that dominates your thinking or fear can also sharpen your senses and fear can help you focus if you use it and for me it's again asking why why am i scared and if you manage to voice these fears and if you understand to 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 know what is it you're really scared of um, then you can do things and i think you need to attack fear head on and find solutions for you that work and now obviously if you're scared of, of, of a virus that's real fear but then do your homework understand what, what the what the scare is understand how you can mitigate it understand where risks you need to take and risks you don't need to take but i think most of the time we spend too much time actually worrying about the fear we have and that's 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 a bad thing and fear can also massively massively hurt you and um that doesn't help it doesn't help and the funny thing is for me regarding fear um so i've always massively struggled with stage anxiety and hated the idea of talking in front of people and i would get it right up to real like like panic moments and the oh, interesting yeah. thing is yeah probably probably as long as i can remember speaking in front of people would scare me even in school it would be like the worst thing for me to do is having to speak in class and and kind of there's something interesting my wife always says and on my close friends you can't tell if i'm scared you can't tell if i'm drunk so that's that's probably talent or something <laughs> that people can't see my fear so but people never knew that i was actually scared and at the same same time i always learned like there's things i believe in i need to talk about them and to change things i have to move forward um so i even started doing acting and hosting events although i was scared absolutely senseless and this fear was eating me up and i was the funny thing is i said early on if i want something i'll do everything it takes and i so wanted to do this and i so wanted to talk about these subjects and i so wanted to bring them forward that i was willing to face the fear but it was super brutal and i always thought it was like this incredible weakness and the funny thing is i remember doing this tv show and i mean having stage anxiety is normal but i had like it was like eating me up it was mad and so i did like the, the first five minutes of live television and i remember being backstage and i was i was i just wanted to run away and i kept on thinking like my goodness why are you so scared and this is so bad and so i did live television and on the evening i drove home i was like holy you've just become a professional tv presenter and you're still scared what the hell is wrong with you and i started talking to people on this and they were like you're scared so am i hey cool and suddenly i started talking about it and the funny thing is the moment i started voicing my fears it was just like someone had taken 100 kilos off my shoulders it, it just felt so good that i understood hang on being scared is not bad and i understood for me that moment i understood that if you're scared it's not bad that bravery is not being not scared but bravery is being scared and still doing it that was something I, I as soon as i got my head around that that bravery is being scared but still doing it although you're scared that's cool and it, it it did it did a lot for me and i was understanding also how to how to take 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 these things forward you look at the risk you try and understand it you try and do your homework on it and go like is this something i want to do or not and 
I do a lot of pitch trainings nowadays and I help a lot of people on public speaking and how to present ideas under, under pressure. Um, I have a funny nickname there called the pitch professor. And while doing that, I was always talk about this fear moment. And for me, the interesting thing is I usually don't tell my audience before that I'll be talking about this. And what usually happens is they go like, hang on, you're scared? So am I. Wow. And, and, it, and it does so much about it when we talk about it. And I always have this picture of a guy who's about to jump out of an airplane for his first parachute jump. And you can see in his face, he's like, he's just questioning his decision. You can see he's, he's not in a happy place. And the funny thing is I always used this picture until one, one day this guy walks up to me um, who was working for, for, for an Austrian-based company that makes uh, a high caffeine uh, lemonade, to not say the name, and has two Formula One teams. And they go like, hey, we think it's really cool. What, what can we do out of it? And so we sat down and I said, look, again, that's me being, being dumb enough to do it. I'm saying, look, my idea would be quite simple. We take a small airplane. In that airplane, we put an entrepreneur. I interviewed that an entrepreneur about how he or she faces fears, how they handle anxiety and so on. And we do that until we're up at the, up, 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 up the ideal height. Uh, and then we jump out of the plane. Uh, and while being in free fall, they pitch. Uh, and as soon as the parachutes open, we do the Q&A session. They were like, mm, okay, okay, okay. And three weeks later, I'm sitting in this boardroom with like three, four dudes, all like, like obviously these typical, you know, action sports guys with tattoos all over and, and the base caps, slightly twisted, amazing guys. Um, actually from the, now I can say the name, kind of like from, from the Red Bull parachute team. And we're talking about this. And um, yeah, a couple of weeks later, I'm in an airplane. And the funny thing is I'd, I'd never jumped out of a plane before. I don't like confined spaces. I don't like the idea of handing over control. And um, yeah, that was an interesting moment to test all my methods. And um, suddenly I'm interviewing this guy. Mm -hmm. It was incredible. And we jumped and it worked and it was just incredible. And the funny thing is also in jumping, I remember being at the door and, and, and I'd never jumped out of an airplane before. And I was sitting there and thinking like, am I scared? And I wasn't, and I, and I was like, wow, I'm not scared, this is weird. So we jump and I'm still not scared. And then we rotate forwards. And I remember looking between my feet and seeing this aeroplane suddenly disappear like really quickly. And incredible primeval fear struck me. And all I could think of was like a big red stop button I wanted to hit and automatically be pushed to my sofa. That's all I wanted. And suddenly out of nowhere, the dude that was kind of a, parachute, a tandem parachute jump this dude's hand comes from, from the side into my view. And on his wrist, he has this GoPro. And suddenly I see the GoPro in all my mad fear. And suddenly my brain into goes like, <laughs> yeah. And I suddenly go like, this is the job I need to do. So I suddenly focus on the GoPro, suddenly start delivering my lines. And there's something, again, I believe so strongly. And it's absolutely normal to be scared. But then as soon as you focus on what you're good in, as soon as you don't focus on the fear, refocus your mind, just start doing doing something you'll manage to you'll manage and the thing is you'll be even better because your whole body your whole mind is going 100 miles an hour because obviously you know fight and flight mode you are on full alert you will be a lot better and the thing is fear can really push you forward if you use these incredible hormones your body shoots into you um, mm -hmm. incredible moments and so I believe I became the first person to have delivered a pitch in free fall, which was quite, quite a feature. So that was fun. Good day. <laughs> Excellent. Focus is a really good word that you used over there. Focus is a key yeah. word, I think. So how do you suggest to, to people 
um, how to deal with the fear and anxiety that it's happening right now in this interesting times? I mean, I think there's two or three ways. Um, mm. I think it's always good to voice the fear. What is it I'm scared of? Um, maybe, maybe it's better not just in times like these, but overall, what is it I'm actually scared of? And then trying to understand, okay, what needs to happen for this to, for example, if you're parachuting is, or say, okay, I'm scared of dying. Okay, good. So what's the fear? Fears, parachute couldn't open, might not open. Okay, understood. What do I need to do that the chute opens? Do you do this, this, and this? How many times has the chute not opened? And so on. So suddenly you can have a very rational uh, uh, approach to things. So you suddenly say, so these are the steps I need to take that things don't happen. This is the risk. And this is what I can do about it. And I think this is very important to, to understand taking an active role in it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's very important that people don't just see the headline and go like, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. But rather, okay, this is the this is the background. These are the percentages. This is what I can take an active part in, and this is where I suddenly start taking over control. Because suddenly I come to this point: Am I willing to take this risk? Yes or no? For example, like in days like nowadays, um, there's there's this virus. This is bad. What do I need to do pr to prevent it? And says, okay, wash your hands, keep your distance, don't go out. Well, then don't do it. Understood. But if you just think there's this deadly virus and you don't do your homework on it. That's bad. That's bad. I see. Yeah, it makes sense. Is there I mean, any books that you suggest for um, for for that? Like you mentioned, like being a book nerd, if I call it, I can call it that way. You like books mm -hmm. all the time. Is there any books you can suggest for this topic or something relevant? After after a bit, like on on on, mm. on fear itself, um, I wouldn't really have a special recommendation. Um, to think of a lot of startup recommendations to, to, to give. Um, but on fear, I don't know what I've done over, over several years, and that's why I can't point out a specific book. I've always mm -hmm. found it interesting to read different autobiographies, autobiographies of, of, of people who've uh, achieved incredible things. Um, those could be, for example, um, what you call adventurers, uh, astronauts, pilots, racers. Yeah. Um, people in the military, sports people who've achieved incredible things. And every time you'll find lines where you see how they face their fears, how they focus. And that's something I find incredibly inspiring where people have that point where everything would speak against them. And just with their sheer willpower, they make things work. And that's something that I find extremely inspiring. And that's something I really look up to. And, um, yeah, that's so. So that's why I don't have a book where I said this book has influenced me. No, it's 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 dozens of books and it's hundreds of articles and and interviews, um, and I like it. I quite like it. Very nice, very nice. Okay, a couple of more questions. Where does pressure come from? When you think about the word pressure, what do you think of? I think pressure usually comes from the inside. Um, so pressure is like it's like like like. Uh, when you cook, you know, it's like, uh, this says external factors, but the, but, but the pressure builds up inside the, inside the kettle. And it depends how you release the pressure that's inside. If you don't release it, well, that's very bad. It, it'll explode eventually. And if you manage how to release it and to release it early, um, you'll have it under control. I think it's important to have pressure. Um, there's that kind of like saying, you know, diamonds are created under pressure, but I also understand you have to be able to handle it and, there's a saying I love so much by, by, by Ernest Hemingway that's 
courage is grace under pressure. It's how you handle yourself in that situation because we'll all have pressure. Um, and that's where like courage is grace under pressure. And then of course, I think pressure is something very often we create ourselves. Um, I find it quite interesting. Um, of course, mm -hmm. I think pressure is a great motivator to a certain degree, but too much pressure leads to an explosion. So you need to find the exact level. For example, I mean, as a student, I knew always the deadline was the best level of pressure I could do. That's something I always needed. Yeah, I could, if I had four weeks time, I wouldn't work on something. If it was tomorrow, I would be incredible on it. So that's something I needed. But then again, if you do something, if you, and if you build up too much pressure, um, that doesn't work. And um, I think right. everyone needs you need to, to be a little bit settings. of a sweet spot, right? Between too much pressure exactly. and too little pressure. Mm. Exactly. And there's something I've found for myself. I think it's extremely important to find settings where you let that pressure go, where you just leave it aside and, and, and it doesn't help you to create pressure on everything 100% of the time. And for me, as easy as it sounds, I have an amazing dog with my, with my, with my beautiful wife. When I walk the dog, just kind of the pressure goes and it's just it's gone. And we go running every second day, my wife and I. And it's no, no tracking, no music, no nothing, just running and just without, without uh, looking at a, at a specific time or, or kilometer uh, setting we want to reach. We just run and um, that just, I sometimes can feel how this pressure goes away. Um, and then also, I think, which is also interesting is the way you can also actively just help your body um, to reduce the pressure. And uh, oh yeah, what I haven't mentioned, I think, um, I did yoga for seven years uh, on a daily basis. Um, and it also helped me a lot how to handle pressure um, mm -hmm. and also the beauty mm -hmm. of, of what you can do with, with breathing, um, how much pressure you can create and how much anxiety and how much you can also relieve it with breathing. Mm -hmm. um, you still practice? Fantastic subject. Um, interestingly, I, mm -hmm. I stopped practicing some two or three years ago just because I changed a lot of my um, habits after, after having moved. Um, but the fundamentals I learned that I use every day and um, before that was like seven years um, on a daily basis, um, something I have to take up again. Do you? I do. I do um, practice on a regular basis, not talking here specifically about the yoga, but I have my own uh, morning practice and sometimes also evening one. Um, to, it's, I, see, I see morning practices and morning routines like a little warm up for the day. So I start with yeah. breath work, for example, meditation, a couple of stretches. And uh, I tried running early in the morning uh, last week. And I was the only one running in the forest because everything was frozen and my hands were freezing. <laughs> and I was wondering, why is nobody? And I, I get the point like at the end, like uh, people go run around noon rather than early in the morning. Yeah. Um, I am a little bit um, almost... Um, I'm in particular about my routines, need them to be in a certain way. Uh, I don't know mm -hmm. if that's control or something else, like including cold showers uh, after the breath work in, in, in Germany. Cold showers in Germany, not the same thing as cold showers in Bali. Not at all. <laughs> very cold, very cold. The water is really cold. Bali is not cold, it's tropics. It's <laughs> way warmer. <laughs> that makes sense. So the German cold water is colder than it the cold really water. It is really cold. I think it's five, <laughs> six degrees or even less than that in the morning. Mm -hmm. It's really freezing. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yes. <laughs> I think it's even colder there in Austria, closer to the mountains where, where I mean, we are. The, 
I, I, I'm not sure, but the funny thing is when I, went, when I did this first TV job and I was still in my student apartment there, I always kind of learned to bootstrap, to reduce costs for long as possible to also uh, remain mobile. And we were kind of like in the last two, two years or whatever in this apartment and we had like a really old heating system. Did you turn and on one of the No, but on, on one of the main days for, for the recording of this show, the heating broke and it was January and I remember the whole uh, flat was cold and the water was as cold as you described and I knew I had to I had to look decent and have a shower and everything and I remember freezing already in my apartment and then getting into that cold shower and washing that was just it's kind of one of these memories I think I'll never forget mm -hmm. because it was so cold it hurt and if you want to take a cold shower to relax or to to activate yourself cool if you really don't want to take it but you just have to take it because well you have a job to do Blah, that was bad and uh, yeah just just had to recollect that yeah um, at the end you could get used to it a little bit now actually i even want it i'm look i look forward to to having those cold uh, showers it wakes me up sharps me up um i even had one last evening before going to bed they help you wow. cool down and relax before going in uh, going to bed i also open the windows i get a lot of cold air inside turn off the heater uh, Oof, I think wow. sleeping in the cold in in colder uh, room, um, you get a better sleep when you sleep in a colder room. Um, yeah, probably that's right. That's somewhere, and the right like temperature, not too cold though. <laughs> not with yeah. windows all open. <laughs> I like warm showers and warm buildings. I'm I'm I'm, I'm totally different. <laughs> and what could work also for that is um, uh, contrast therapy they call mm -hmm. it contrast therapy i mean you go in the hot and then the cold so after having a really really warm nice shower at the end you put a little bit of cold <laughs> mm, also good yes for blood circulation i think we covered most of the things that i had on my notes we talked about mm -hmm. fear we talked about hacking the crisis we talked about you and how did you um about your past and um the challenging moments the fun moments the pivoting moments so i think there's a lot of lot there to process a lot of positive and good insight for people that are listening to learn from your experience but also to engage with you in some of the uh, activities that you are in i mean whether it's australian startups or hack the crisis that is happening right now uh, that's something I'm definitely like to get involved with also. Like I'll gladly, I will follow, follow what's going on and see when is the next, um, hackathon. I like the name you gave it to, Please. they gave it to that, like get involved with that and see how you guys operate. Also uh, probably, uh, most, no, not certainly I will put the link for the mentorship, um, what do you call it like website website the uh vienna mentoring group a mentoring group yeah so for people who need that uh, is it like only for people that are in austria or well even... currently yes because we meet uh physically, physically um but on yeah. days like now um no i think i, I think um we'll come we'll come to the decision that, that we're always interested in, in, in cool projects mm. how do you select um, people? how do you select people how we select them or do they select you did they come to you well, they come to us, um, mm -hmm. so we see a lot of people, meet a lot of people, and the selection process is primarily, um, do we believe in them? Do they mm -hmm. believe in themselves? And mm -hmm. then obviously all the economical factors come in, but the right. main thing is, again, are they just people that can, that can bring all their willpower behind something and make things work that no one's done before? And um, that's something 
That's something and, I enjoy very much. And showing that interest and that passion that we talked about yes. when you were describing also your own experience with being super interested by something and being super yes. curious about it, right? I mean, exactly. And, and, and for me, probably one of the largest privileges in my life, life is nowadays from a professional point of view, um, is spending time with people who love doing what they do. It sounds like super cheesy, but being in a work environment where you're surrounded by dozens of people who are all super passionate, super smart, willing to do everything it takes um, to make the, the things they believe in work, and who don't accept no, um, that's like that's like really incredible because something I, I kind of learned is something interesting I, I read um, a couple of months ago. I read the interview of um, uh, of, of Robert O'Neill. Now Robert O'Neill is, is is a former Navy SEAL. It's actually the guy who apparently shot Bin Laden. Okay, but I don't know about that part. But he was asked, "What's this, what's the biggest fear in your life? What scares you the most?" And I was like. I mean, obviously, there's probably a lot of things. And he says, negative people. And I was like, holy shit, like a former a former Navy SEAL who's done all this wild stuff says, the scariest thing in his life are negative people. And he says, yes, sir. And he does everything to keep negative people out of his life. And it's it's really so interesting. Uh, I think it's so important to it also mm. surround yourself yeah, with people who, who support you and you pick you up and who believe in you and you believe in them and who, as I said, I, smart enough to have ideas but dumb enough to do them and I remember back in the day when, when I was 19, 20, 21 I had a lot of people around me who were like whenever I had ideas they would say yeah but why should that work why should you make that work why would you put in this effort Doesn't no one can achieve this stuff that's for the others and I was like no don't shut up don't 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 and that's awful and I think it's so important um and for me, this being surrounded by all these smart people who are all working on what they do, that's just the best thing. And um, I can only say, is I think um, if you look around, you'll always have people who lift you up and people who pull you down. And I think it's always important to have more people who, who lift you up and also to be that person to lift, you, lift others up. I think that's extremely important. Mm, and um, like Jim Rohn says, uh, you're the sum of the five people that you're hanging out with. Yes. You better be around yes. people that are positive. Mm. Totally believe in that. Totally believe mm. in that. And, and, and you're an essential part of that. Uh, you yourself. And um, I think it's always what you give is what you also get back uh, in, 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 in a certain degree. And um, it reflects. Yeah. And um, that's just, yeah, fantastic. It's a huge privilege. Excellent, Daniel. I think we are we covered a lot, and we are cool. close to an end to this conversation. I hope we can have other conversations in the future. Gladly. Very interesting one. Share on different topics and um, meet in person. I haven't done that oh, yet. Gladly. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, they open the borders soon, and we can cross oh, them. Yeah. And also, things get safer for everyone uh, with all these measures that are taken by. Uh, um all the, the the governments yeah is there anything else would you, that you would like to add before uh we say uh bye for now i mean i think we've covered a lot okay. um and I've, I've enjoyed it um a lot to talk about this and um i think what is important when there's someone someone listening at this point and thinking about ideas and innovation um I always think it's it's important to understand when you do something new it's scary and there's so many reasons why things don't work but and there's so many things you need to do and they can be really 
they can be overwhelming but it's so important to understand what is the next step i have to take what is the next step i need to take and one step at a time you can achieve so many incredible things and for me even when when edmund hillary reached the peak of mount everest it all started with him taking the very first step and not necessarily to the mount but the first step out of his office telling the first people this is what i want to do talking about it and that's i think what's so important that people shouldn't be overwhelmed by the amount of things to do but just to break them down into packages and also understand how incredibly important it is to talk about ideas early that's just so incredibly important um I've always noticed if you wait, if you don't tell anyone about ideas, nothing happens. If you talk about ideas early, other people start, man, that's a good idea, that's a bad idea. And once in a while, people will say, do you know what? I also believe in that idea. And you somebody know what? might I be able to believe. help you with it. Even. Exactly, and that's something which we find, we as Austrian startups, I myself find so incredibly important because you see, does this person have the same values as I have? Does the person have the same ideas? And suddenly you start talking about this idea more and more and more and more and more and more. And suddenly you start building something and suddenly something happens. And that's so important. That does not happen if you don't talk about the idea. And the funny thing is for me, um, when I started with all this innovation stuff, I had a million ideas. I wrote them down. I never shared them with anyone because I was so scared that people would take my idea away. That's something everyone has that moment. And funny thing is when I moved a couple of years ago, I found I found a box with all these ideas and I hadn't done a single one. And nowadays I've learned to talk about ideas as early as possible because hey, if 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 someone just needs to hear two minutes of my idea and that's all they need to take it away and make it better than me, well then they are just better than me. But if I if I just need two minutes to persuade others and that others get interested in it then I've got something and um, that's how it works. And uh, it's obviously it's important not to share uh, top secret uh, uh, specifics, but just the idea, what are you working on? And people will come to you and will start sharing it. And uh, then good stuff happens. Uh, or you might hear other ideas and just help. And um, yeah, so that's an incredible moment when that happens. So right. yeah, talk about your ideas early and be brave enough to do them and to be dumb enough to actually take the first step. Exactly. Thank you, Daniel. I will talk to you, you very soon and I wish you a nice uh, rest of the day. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so okay. much for this. Stay safe. Very much looking forward to meeting you in person sometime soon. Same. All the best. Same. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for that. Take care. That's it for today's conversation. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the key insights that we shared on this podcast interview. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you didn't subscribe yet and head to my website, thebodyandmindcoach.com blog to find exclusive articles about various personal and professional development topics. And finally, if you are an athlete or a business professional who's looking for help to advance your career and navigate through whatever challenges that you may be facing to win your game, or if you are a corporate organization who would like to offer their team a workplace well-being workshop, or if you are a sports team who's looking at unlocking their full potential, go to my website, thebodyandmindcoach.com, scroll to the bottom and hit the contact button and reach out. Thank you and enjoy your day.